Let's, uh, let's unite their hearts in prayer together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, uh, your day, uh, the day where we remember once more that Jesus, your Son, our Saviour, died on a cross for our sin to take uh, away the punishment that we were due and rose from the dead. We thank you that on the, the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the dead and promised that resurrection life to all who believe. And we pray that you would give each of us faith, that we would believe all that we are saying, that we would believe all that we read in, in the Bible, that we would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And we thank you that that is the message that is repeated throughout Scripture, that we are to believe, we are to put our faith in Jesus. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we, we can say with uh, the hymn writer there that uh, we will take our place in heaven. We thank you that there's nothing uncertain about the hope that we have when we are in Christ. We thank you that we don't have to, to work to reach a level where you accept us. Because we know that our good works would never be good enough to make to make it to the perfect standard that God sets. We thank you, Lord, that it's not about us uh, endeavouring to, to be attentive in all the, the, the rituals of religion that make us acceptable. We thank you that we are saved by faith, by grace, through faith. And it's in Jesus, in all that he has done, in all that he is. And so we pray that you would help us to fix our eyes upon Jesus. When we were lost, when we were in sin, when we had no hope, we thank you that God the Son came from heaven to earth to save us. And we pray that you would enable us each to receive that salvation, to take the gift of eternal life, to take that place in heaven that is freely offered to us, as we trust in Christ. And we thank you for the comfort that that brings. We are always conscious of those who are grieving, of those who miss, uh, those whom they have loved and spent time with who have gone on ahead from this world. And we thank you that when uh, they are in Christ, there is the promise of that place where there is no suffering and no sickness and no pain, no sorrow, no sin but perfect peace in life. So we pray for those who are grieving and we ask, Lord, that you would comfort them, that you would strengthen them, that you would give them that sense of your presence and the hope of the gospel. We pray for those who are struggling with different things. Uh, there are some who are anxious, who may think about the week ahead and the different appointments and the different things that they anticipate. We thank you that you are a God who, who does not watch us at a distance and, and not enter into our suffering. But we thank you uh, that God the Son came into this world and experienced all uh, the anxieties that we experience. And we are able to come to Jesus uh, with our problems and our worries and our cares, coming to one who understands and who is able uh, to help. So for those who are anxious, for those who are uh, feeling weary, uh, for those who are uh, wrestling with fear, we ask, Lord, that you would meet them 
at the point of their need. We pray for those who, who may be healthy and who may be happy in terms of material things, but who are outside of Christ. Uh, some, perhaps, who, who know that and who have that sense of something missing uh, in their heart. Uh, we ask, Lord, that uh, they would meet with Jesus, Lord God, uh, that you would meet with them. And for others who perhaps have no knowledge even of that, uh, who are getting on with, with life, who are busy, uh, and who have no sense of the danger that they are in, uh, we ask, Lord, that you would awaken souls, that they and that we would each know uh, our danger uh, if we are apart from Christ uh, and the wonder of the salvation that is offered in Jesus. And Lord, we pray for those who are rejoicing today as well. As a congregation, uh, we have been rejoicing in past weeks uh, for new life. And we thank you, Lord, for uh, the safe arrival of baby Evelyn this week. And we thank you for Mihaela and uh, for her health and protection. And we pray that you would bless uh, them as a family, Ian and uh, Miriam as well. That as a family they would know uh, your hand upon them for good. And we thank you for uh, hearing our prayers. We thank you, Lord, for uh, this new arrival into this place. And we ask, Lord, that little Evelyn would grow up to know you and trust you to walk close with you and to bring glory to your name. And what we pray for her, uh, we pray for Isabel as well with us this morning, uh, that your hand would be upon her and uh, all of the family, uh, that they too would know uh, your presence and your peace. And we pray for Mackenzie and we pray for Joyce as they carry uh, young ones that we have not yet met. We keep on praying with thankfulness that you're the God who knows us even in the womb. And so we pray for your protection over these wee ones uh, and the mums that uh, you would guard them and keep them. So hear our prayers. Uh, be at work, Lord, in this place today. May we truly be in the spirit of worship be at work, Lord, in our nation as we uh, see ourselves drift further and further away from you. Have mercy upon us, we pray, and draw us back. And be at work, Lord, in this, this world where we uh, see so much conflict and we see so much uh, bloodshed, man's inhumanity to man. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you would intervene where there is suffering, that you would bring peace where there are wars. And make us mindful, Lord, we pray, of these signs that we have been warned of, that towards the end, before Jesus comes back, these things will happen. Uh, so make us uh, ready, we pray, uh, for that day when Christ will return or call us home. So hear our prayers, take away our sin, we ask. We confess, Lord, that we fall short. Uh, we sin in thought and word and deed. The good that we want to do, we so often leave undone. The evil that we don't want to do, we so often find ourselves back in. Uh, cleanse us, we pray, in the blood of Christ. And uh, help us, we pray, to know uh, your presence in this hour. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you have promised in the Bible that all who believe in Jesus will not perish, but will have everlasting life. We thank you that when we believe in Jesus, there is a place being prepared in heaven for us. Our names are written in heaven. So we pray that everyone here 
anybody who's listening uh, would have their name written in heaven and that you would help us not to be scared uh, but to trust you because we know that you save us not through what we do but through what Jesus has already done and that uh, is by grace and we ask all this in Jesus name amen and we can turn in our bibles to Luke chapter 19 please and we'll read just a few verses verse 45 to to verse 48. Jesus is coming close to, to Jerusalem. We've just had the triumphal entry, uh, a joyful scene. And then Jesus, he weeps over the city of Jerusalem as he knows uh, how he will be received and how they'll respond to the offer uh, of uh, peace with God. And then he enters Jerusalem. Verse 45, then Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it, because all the people hung on his words. And I'm going to read one more section. It's not on the screen Uh, but you can just listen to a few verses. Uh, That's Luke's um, account of this scene, and we have it in various Gospels. I'll read one more. Uh, Mark, this is probably Peter, the disciple's view of the scene on this particular day, and he tells it to Mark, and Mark writes this this, uh, eyewitness account uh, of the same scene, and it's it's Mark chapter 11 and verse 15. And it says there, On reaching Jerusalem... Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he taught them, and as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house full of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So may God bless that reading of his word to us. If you could turn now in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 19. And just as we go uh, there, we'll pray again. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this, your word, and we pray for uh, the help of the Holy Spirit, that as we think about these few verses, that uh, we would hear your voice, that we wouldn't harden our hearts, but that we would uh, believe. And what we pray for ourselves in this room, we pray for the Sunday school as we hear them uh, next door, uh, that they would uh, hear the message of the gospel simply, and that they would believe. And We pray that for the the churches around us as well, in different places uh, and in this place too, uh, wherever Christ crucified is preached, we ask, Lord, that you would be uh, speaking, that you would be at work, uh, that you would guide your servants as they, and uh, as we uh, seek to open your word now. So help us, Lord, we pray as we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's great to see uh, the the children in church and uh, it's great to hear Uh, the children uh, in church. When you go to different places and you have a children's talk and you ask for a bit of response, then 
There tends to be zero response. But uh, uh, with our crew here, uh, they once they start, uh, they, they don't stop. They keep on going. and They give great answers in relation to the questions being asked. And, and sometimes they, they give great answers and they ask questions which are seemingly nothing to do with the questions that are being asked. Uh, last Sunday uh, morning, um, I heard it. Probably some of you heard it too, but I chose not to, to engage. Little Callum Price, in the middle of... Um, the discussion, he, he just piped up and he, he asked a question. He says, does God have windows? And I heard it and I thought, I don't think I'm going to go there just now. Because um, we were already at length. But um, I didn't know exactly what he was getting at. But I followed up on it later. And it was an interesting question. Uh, he, he was asking the question, uh, does God have windows through which he can look in to see us or, or I suppose uh, to shorten the question he's, he's saying can, can God see us can God look in uh, to our lives can he, can he see the places that we're going can, we, can he see the things that we're doing uh, and of course the answer is yes uh, he can God doesn't need windows to see uh, he can see everything he is the, the omniscient he is the, uh, the all uh, seeing God uh, he, he can see in the windows of the church just now. He can see uh, through the wall into uh, the Sunday school. And uh, that takes us back to the text of, of Luke 19 at the end. Uh, we see Jesus, he's approaching Jerusalem. Uh, still, you could say he has tears in his eyes as he approaches Jerusalem uh, because he is thinking about the, the peace that the people in Jerusalem are refusing uh, as they refused him, the, the Prince of Peace. And now as Jesus enters the, the temple area, uh, he, to, to use Callum's phrase, he, he looks in the window of the temple and he sees all the activity. He sees all that's going on and he, he begins to take action. So the Jesus that we see in this short section is, is a Jesus that may surprise us. Uh, at the cultural level, we have portrayed Jesus uh, as very gentle and uh, almost timid. But we don't see that in Jesus here in this passage. Uh, there is force, there is power. Uh, there is something uh, very unsettling about how Jesus enters this church and begins uh, to intervene in what's going on. So, Looking at these few verses, I've got uh, six short points which I'll endeavour to get through in the time. We may have less than that. Uh, we'll see how we get on. But uh, six short points as we, as we step through these verses. And the first point is um, chief end. Now that's the phrase I want to underline. And uh, I know chief end, to speak about a chief end is not exactly modern speech. It, it takes those who are uh, those of us who are a bit older, um, back to the, the shorter catechism and the first question. Uh, and if I asked you what the, the first question in the shorter catechism is, you, you would say, well, the question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 
And if we were to to put that in modern language, we might say, uh, what is our first priority? What should our first priority, our, our chief end be? And the answer is, God, our chief end, our first priority, uh, should be the, the worship of God. And notice that as Jesus enters Jerusalem, he, he, he enters this, this place that's buzzing at the time uh, of this huge festival. And notice that he doesn't go straight to the shops. He doesn't go out for a meal. Uh, he, he doesn't climb a hill or go for a picnic. He doesn't go to check where he can get some Wi-Fi so he can go through uh, his emails. He goes straight to the place of worship. It's the first thing we see when Jesus enters Jerusalem. Uh, He enters, verse 45, the temple area. He goes directly to his father's house. And and in doing so, uh, Jesus sets us an example. And Jesus came to this world to be much more than an example, but he he did come also to be an example. And Jesus sets an example as he enters into this place of of Jerusalem. He he goes straight to the temple, goes straight to his father's house. In Matthew 6 and verse uh, 33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's what Jesus does here. He goes straight to the place of prayer. And that should cause us to examine ourselves in application. Let me ask the question of you, as I have had to wrestle with this question myself throughout the week. What is your chief end? What comes first in your life? What takes priority over everything else? Is it God? Is it the worship of God or is he away down the list somewhere? You know, we make an effort to be uh, in certain places week by week. We, we make an effort to, to, to book our place in the, in the gym class. We make sure that we're at our desk at the prescribed time each morning to do our work. Uh, we arrange to visit friends at their houses. But how much effort do we make to, to be in God's house morning and evening, let me say? And then midweek, when when life is busy, there's a whole lot of things going on. How much of a a chief end is it to to actually determine to be in the house of prayer? And only you know the answer to these questions. I'm not here to to point fingers or throw stones or judge you. Only only you know your your own life, your own schedule, uh, your own priorities. But these are questions that are right for us to to think through. So the first thing is the chief end. We see Jesus, when he arrives in Jerusalem, the first thing he does is uh, go to his father's house. Second point is uh, confrontation. And it says there in verse 45, as we track through the verses, uh, then Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out. You know, there's real power in these words. He began driving out those who were selling. He doesn't knock at the door and, and seek entry and, and kind of nervously stand back. No, he enters boldly and he immediately confronts the people in terms of what's going on and he drives out those who were selling. And what we have here actually is a, 
is a picture of judgment. Jesus goes to the temple, he looks around, he doesn't like what he sees as he looks in the window. And so there's a confrontation where God the Son, at the, at the micro level, he acts in judgment, he confronts the religious leaders. It says in First Peter chapter 4, And at verse 17, judgment must begin at the house of God. Judgment must begin at the house of God. Now, sadly, sometimes it can be those who are in the house of God who are most judgmental when it comes to other people. Sometimes we are the people who look around at everybody on the outside and we see what, what's going on and we see things happening that are against the Bible and we rant and we rave rather than reach out to these people. We say things like something's got to be done about that, something's got to be done about them. We point a long finger in judgment and yet here as we see God the Son arrive in Jerusalem, he doesn't go directly to the prison house to blast Uh, those in prison with a word of judgment. He doesn't go directly to the the public house to speak a word of of judgment. He goes directly to the house of God. He goes straight to the religious people. He goes to those people who have God's word in their hand, who know God's word. And that's where judgment begins. That's the scene for this confrontation. And it's quite a scene. Um, It's a scene that may take many people by surprise. Jesus, he, he doesn't nervously approach the traders and ask them for a quiet word. He began driving out those who were selling. Uh, Matthew and Mark uh, tell us uh, about uh, the fact that Jesus, he overturned the tables uh, and, the, and the benches. Money would have been flying everywhere. Uh, animals would have been uh, on the move. Jesus is throwing tables over. And Mark tells us as well that uh, Jesus, he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise to the temple court. So you can imagine these people coming with the stuff they're going to sell and Jesus is standing at the door and he's saying, you're not getting in. You're not getting past me. A huge disturbance. And if you glance back at the previous section, verse 28 to 44, uh, we see and we thought about this Uh, A week or two back, uh, we thought about the the prophecy of Jesus uh, as king is fulfilled in the triumphal entry. That passage from Zechariah that speaks about the coming of the king, uh, riding on the donkey, and we see that happening. The king, the the prophecy uh, comes to life as Jesus is approaching Jerusalem. But now in this section, we see the power of the king. Not the prophecy of the king, but more so the power of the king as he Uh, single-handedly brings the markets down. He stops all trading immediately. And just to get a picture in our minds of what was going on, the commentators, the scholars, they they tell us that uh, the area uh, of of commerce was similar in size to what we would know as several football pitches. We're talking about a vast area Think about the football pitch down there multiplied a good number of times. Animals everywhere. Money changers everywhere. A a whole uh, massive uh, commercial operation is going on. 
Hundreds, if not thousands, they say, of sellers uh, were there at that time. And none of them would have been happy to stop trading. But such was the authority of Jesus and the power of Jesus that no one could stand against them. And immediately, business stops. And again, this is a, a picture of a, of a greater judgment that's, that's to come, an ultimate confrontation. We, we see a snapshot here of a confrontation, uh, but there is an ultimate confrontation coming for some when they stand before Jesus. There are many today, there may be some in here today, who don't really take Jesus seriously. You know, Jesus, you, you pay a bit of lip service to him. You'll come along every few weeks. When, you've, when you're in trouble, you, you want to pray and, uh, and call him to attention. But when the, the storm has passed, uh, no need for him anymore. Jesus serves you. There's many, many people who don't take Jesus seriously. But there's coming a day where everyone will have to take Jesus seriously. There's coming a day where uh, we will all stand before Jesus. And there'll be no arguing with him. There'll be no resisting him. Every knee will bow before him as king. Every tongue will confess that, that he is Lord. Uh, some will do so in joy as Jesus calls them to be with him eternally. And others will do so in fear as Jesus uh, drives them away. As he drove these sellers away. So there's this confrontation. The third point is a complaint. We'll think about the, the reasons for Jesus' complaint. Some places we go and uh, we may visit them or we may eat out in a, in a restaurant and uh, we're happy with our experience. We speak about it. There's other places we go and we're not happy at all. And if we feel strongly about what we see or what we've tasted, uh, we want to see the manager. We want to make a complaint. And as Jesus enters the temple here, uh, very clearly he's unhappy. So, so what caused this? What were the reasons for Jesus' complaint? Well, I think in general terms we could say uh, there were two reasons. We can gather our thoughts under two uh, main reasons. The first thing that Jesus complained about was what was happening within the temple. And the second thing Jesus complained about was, was uh, what wasn't happening in the temple. So as he looks in, he sees what is happening and he is extremely unhappy about it. And as he looks in, he sees what's not happening. And he's unhappy about that. So first of all, what was happening in the temple that gave Jesus cause for complaint? Well, what was happening in the temple was business. Profiteering. There was a lot of activity in the temple. The priests were always on their feet. They were always offering up sacrifices. But it's not the sacrifices that Jesus objected to. To make sacrifices was to follow God's law. So it was necessary that in the temple there would be sacrifices. It says in Hebrews 9.22, without the, the shedding of blood, there, there, there is no forgiveness. So blood needed to be shed, and, and Jesus' blood would soon be shed. as the perfect sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice to end all sacrifices. By the end of this week, Jesus, the Lamb of God, would through his shed blood take away the sins of the world. So it wasn't the sacrifices that, that was the problem here. Uh, the problem was that the priests were making a lot of money out of the sacrifices. 
Uh, they were selling animals for sacrifice at hugely inflated prices. Josephus, one of the, the historians from that time, a Jewish historian, uh, he, he, he wrote about the, the bazaars of Annas, the high priest. Contemptuously, he wrote about these places of extortion. Uh, William Bartley, the commentator, says there were times when a pair of doves would cost as much as 75 pence inside the temple and considerably less than five pence outside. Again, it was a deliberately planned victimization of the poor pilgrims, nothing more or less than legalized robbery. So what was going on in the temple was just greed and uh, profiteering, exploitation. The priests, on top of all that, were demanding temple taxes. And temple taxes had to be paid with temple money. And so you had to change your money into temple money. And the rates of commission were absolutely astronomical. So everywhere you went, you were being robbed. This was a business center. This place was buzzing with the sound of commerce. There was lots of evidence that these religious people had a, had a great uh, love of money and a desire to have money. But there's no evidence at all that any of them have any desire to be with God in prayer. Such was the noise and the activity in the temple. There wasn't a corner in this area where one could be still and actually meet with God. And so when Jesus saw this, he has reason for complaint. So over went the tables. Business stops. The markets close. And the other reason that Jesus was unhappy was because of what wasn't happening in the temple. And what wasn't happening uh, is prayer. There's no prayer. And uh, we're not surmising this. Uh, Jesus makes that crystal clear. He says to them, as he evicts all these sellers, it is written, my house will be a house of prayer. Verse 46. But you have made a, a den of robbers. So that's what Jesus objected to back then. And to be honest, that's what Jesus still objects to today. Uh, Dale Ralph Davis, the commentator, says, we ought not to think that Jesus' scrutiny is limited to a first century temple but realize that it extends to our worship assemblies today. And one of the sad affairs is that there is many a church that is no longer a house of prayer. So there's a lesson there for us as a church. It's easy uh, for churches to become places that are incredibly busy. And not, not selling animals, but there can be all kinds of activity. We can have uh, notice sheets uh, that, are, that are absolutely full. Things going on every night of the week. But our primary function is not to be busy. It's to be still. So that we can know God. And so that we can worship God. It's right for us to reach out. It's right for us to come together and encourage each other. But the primary thing, the, the, the meeting... Uh, that should fill this place is the prayer meeting. Everything else flows from that. And if that's not happening, nothing else is effective. There's a lesson for us as a church. But there's a lesson for me and for you as believers, if you're a, a believer. 
Because remember we're told in in 1 Corinthians 6.19, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. So our lives are to be places of worship. And yet we can find that there's all kinds of merchandise in terms of this world. It's been carried through our hearts and filling our minds. We can find that sometimes our our lives are, are so full of the cares of this world the responsibilities of work, the pursuit of leisure. We have no time to worship. We say it. I can't be out on a Sunday evening. Wednesday night, far too. I've seen my diary. Too much on. But you know, if, if, if you and I have no uh, time to pray because of all that's been marched through our lives, Jesus has a complaint to raise with us. Fourth point, uh, compassion. Verse 47, uh, every day Jesus was teaching at the temple. So now we look into the temple window and we, we can see that things have changed. It's gone from uh, trade to teaching. Jesus is teaching. It's gone from money making to ministry. It's gone from a, a crude capitalism to to a ministry of compassion. The area, incidentally, that, the, that, that Jesus drove the, the sellers out of in the temple, the temple was split into various areas. And the area that Jesus uh, drove the sellers out of uh, was the area in the temple where the gospel message should have been proclaimed. And Wearsby tells us this. We're not going to get past this point. He says, The court of the Gentiles was the only place in the temple that was available to the Gentiles. There the Jews could witness to their pagan neighbours and tell them about the one true and living God. But instead of being devoted to evangelism, the area was used for a religious marketplace where Jews from other lands could exchange money and purchase approved sacrifices. The priests managed this business and made a good profit from it. Instead of praying for the people, the priests were praying on the people. So that's the way things had been. For, for a long, long time. But now after this confrontation with Jesus, the, the, the sound of commerce uh, was gone. There's no noise of tills anymore. Uh, no, no sound of money being changed. And now the message of compassion was being taught. <coughs> commerce out. And Jesus' message of compassion can be heard. And to have compassion... Uh, it doesn't mean that we just feel sorry for someone. And I hope to be in the streets of Edinburgh uh, tomorrow. I can walk down the streets of Edinburgh. I can see somebody sitting in a cardboard box. <coughs> I may feel sympathy for them and empathy for them. That's not compassion. To have compassion is to, is to feel empathy, uh, to see need and then act on it. <coughs> and that's what Jesus did. And and we sang it at the beginning of the service. Love divine, all loves excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down. Jesus saw us in our need. He came down. Jesus, thou art all compassion. And that now is the message that could be heard in the temple. Uh, This is Monday in Jesus' last week in this world. (coughs) And from Monday through till Thursday night, 
that people would hear about true compassion from Jesus. Nothing else would be done. And then on Friday, the people would see the compassion of Jesus as he went to the cross. And let me finish just by by saying (coughs) that the message of the gospel is a message of compassion. The gospel uh, story is not about us climbing up to God through our own religious efforts because we can't do it. And so many people today still think that they have to try to become a Christian. So they're trying to do this and trying to do that and trying not to do that thing and trying to do more of this thing and in an effort as, as if we could take our religious CV and, and, and show it to God and say, look at all the things I've done and look at all the things I haven't done. Please, will you accept me on the basis of my CV? It's never going to be good enough because God's standard is perfection. We can't climb up a ladder of our own religion and works to, to meet with God. It's impossible. And the message of the Bible is a message where we're told that. You can't do it. And so God, rather than us trying to climb up, God came down. The gospel message is about God coming down to us in our need uh, to save us through the cross. And this is the message that Jesus was now preaching in the temple before he would go to the cross. The compassion of Jesus. That's the message they heard uh, back on that day. As we look in the, uh, the, the window of that temple. And that's the message that we're hearing on this day. The same message. So will you believe? Will we accept all that Jesus has done to save us? He lived for us. A perfect, sinless life. Because we couldn't do it. He died for us, a sinner's death on the cross, so that we wouldn't have to. And he rose from the dead and promised that everyone who who believed in him, everyone who, who simply asked for that grace, would be saved and taste that in this world and then know the fullness of that forever, the compassion of Jesus. And we're not finished, but we're going to finish, so let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that would be moved as we think about the compassion of Jesus. Help us to take on board the challenge of these verses, to examine ourselves, not to examine anyone else, to think about the things that are happening in our lives and the things that aren't happening in our lives. And as we see, Lord, our sin, as we see how many causes for complaint you have against us. We pray that you would cleanse us in the blood of Christ, uh, the perfect once and for all sacrifice. Make us clean, we pray, and save us, not through who we are and what we're trying to do, but through Jesus, who he is, as the Son of God, and all that he has done on our behalf. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And I may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship, the comfort of God the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.